Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Gabby. And I'm Sarah. And we are two physical therapy students on our journey to get that DPT debt free. And our vision for you is to get through PT school on your first try without any debt. Join us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. Welcome everyone to another episode of Gratitude and for today's episode we have a very special guest for all of you and we are so excited to have Fran on the podcast today so thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a long time coming but we've finally been able to coordinate our schedules and make this work. Look and here we are June 2020. Well today's the first day of June. I just realized that. Um, And for the people who don't know you, Fran, can you tell a little bit about what you're doing now and what got you into physical therapy in the first place? Yeah, so uh, I am a canine physical therapist, and that's what a lot of people, you know, around social media and stuff has come across me and my business, which is called the Canine PD, which is a canine rehabilitation business here in Chicago. Um, but when I got into physical therapy, that that was not my intention. I didn't go into PT school thinking that I was going to want to work with animals. Uh, I think it's pretty fascinating nowadays that I get a lot of students that reach out to me saying that they're going through physical therapy school knowing that that's their end goal. But to be quite honest, I didn't even know that animal PT was even an option until I was already uh, – physical therapist for a couple of years already at that point. So I went into physical therapy wanting to work with the active population, young athletes, like weekend warriors kind of stuff, like the orthopedic and sports medicine field. That's what got me interest. I knew from an early age when I was about 14, 15 years old that I wanted to be a physical therapist just because I always got fascinated with the anatomy and the biomechanics of the body and movement. Uh, And as an athlete myself, I just got drawn into it. And I was out of PT school, which I finished my, um, my DPT through the University of Pittsburgh in 2012. And I was uh, still living in Pittsburgh at that point with my wife and working at an outpatient uh, orthopedic setting. And I enjoyed the day-to-day stuff, but I, I wasn't really loving it. It wasn't the thing that I woke up every day just being like super like excited about it. So I was just keeping my options open, just trying to figure it out, okay, what is other things that I can do? And that's when I came across animal rehabilitation. So at that point, one of my coworkers was about to start the certification coursework to do animal rehab. And that was the, the first time I even heard of it, haven't even considered it. Always loved animals, had a dog growing up at that point. Me and my wife had our first dog together. But I was never the kind of kid who considered going into vet school because I was always, you know, like I said, fascinated about the mechanics and and, and that kind of stuff. So that that drew my attention right away. And and, uh, when I went home and I told my wife about it, she was like, oh my God, that's what you got to do. The challenging part of it is that I couldn't find any information about it. I've tried, you know, this was back in late 2013, and I've tried to find whatever information I could find on Google. And I came across two main places that you can get certified, but I couldn't find any information at all about, like, what's the job outlook like? How How is the transition to work from humans to canines or anything like that? But decided that, you know what, that was the right time for me to at least get certified. And then afterwards, I was going to figure it out, you know, how things were going to work it out. So just kind of like took the jump and started the coursework in uh, early 2014 and finished that up in the spring of 2015. And then I've been basically been working with, with, with dogs since that time. Uh, but with my own business, uh, it has been since September of 2017 that I've opened my own business. That was quite a story. That's quite a journey. Like you didn't even realize canine physical therapy was a thing. And I think it's really important that you do say that because many students now, like you pointed out, do know that it's a thing and they go to PT school knowing that's what they want to do afterwards. And that just kind of shows 
kind of the progress of what you and other canine PTs have done to advocate for that part of the profession. So kudos to you guys. We appreciate it. Thanks. And like I said, I think it's fascinating that people are already going into physical therapy school, knowing that, you know, that's what they want to go towards. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And for the people who are like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I thought physical therapy was for humans. Uh, can you kind of go into um, what was it like to go for the certification? Um, and how long did it take? What did you have to study? That kind of stuff. Yeah, so the, the, the certification is, is pretty intense. It's not just a weekend course. All together with all the online coursework, in-person lab, and you have to do like 40 hours of training and whatnot. It's a total of about 200 hours of training. That's why it did take me a little bit over a year to complete you know, everything because at that point I still had a full-time job and I had to fly down to Florida to do the coursework using my own PTO, which is, you know, it's always the challenge sometimes for PTs when they're getting certified. But um, it was fun. I remember the very first day that I went there and, and then you're sitting in, 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 in a classroom with about, you know, 30 people and it's like a mix of physical therapists and, and veterinarians kind of like together doing the same certification. It was just like, it was just one of those things that right away I knew it that this is amazing, you know, because you're there, you're, you have dogs that they have for you to like uh, uh, practice, you know, especially the first few days, it's a lot of anatomy, a lot of palpation kind of stuff. And, and it just really, uh, uh, um, it just really told me that this is it. Like that's absolutely, you know, the route that I wanted to um, to go to. But like I said, it's 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 a big investment of time, a big financial investment. Um, at this point in the United States, there are only two places um, that you can get certified as a canine rehab therapist. Um, I chose to go through the Canine Rehab Institute, which is a, a private institution that has in-person courses both in Florida and Colorado. So they kind of like split a little bit of where they go. So that way it makes it easier for people on both the West and the East Coast to travel. And, and it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And, and to this day, I still work with them um, as a consultant. So if maybe some of your listeners have been to the combined section meeting uh, for the last few years, I've been working with CRI at the, at their booth over there at the exhibit hall. So you might've met me over there and whatnot, but it's, it's, it's the place that out of the two main places, it's the place that I recommend every physical therapist to go through because it's the one that I have found now, especially Enter people in the fields that have gone through both programs. Um, that's the program that people come out better prepared, have better thought process through how to go about doing canine rehab, have better manual skills and whatnot. So, so that's the program that I, I recommend to, to pretty much every physical therapist going through the program. And it's kind of cool, the program, like I said, like you're there with veterinarians and PTs working together, which might sound a little bit weird, but if you think about it, veterinarians don't learn anything about rehab in veterinary school either. They learn, you know, everything that there is out there about veterinary medicine, but rehab is not part of their curriculum yet, just like animal rehab is not a part of a physical therapist curriculum just yet. So it's, it's very interesting to go through the coursework with them together because, yes, they have a, a best knowledge on the animal anatomy and physiology, but they're learning from zero everything that we know as a physical therapist. And it's the two things kind of like put together that really comes hand to hand. And, and it's, it's, it's fascinating because after I went through that and I started teaching with CRI, I've pretty much realized, and I don't know if the two of you at this point in your uh, studies have realized that physical therapy school kind of like brainwashes into the way that we think. It's just very fascinating because like I said, the vets are very knowledgeable with the medicine component, but they really struggle with the things that for us physical therapists become pretty much like normal, like the thought process, the biomechanics on like, you know, or how to develop a plan of care for a patient and how to use like a functional diagnosis instead of a medical diagnosis. And, and it's really cool to, to apply pretty much the same knowledge and skills 
that, that we learn in PT school for humans, it's applying the same knowledge and skills to animals as well. It's just a different body, a different population, and just got to get used with that and get used a little bit as well with the handling. That's the one thing that a lot of physical therapists struggle a little bit making that uh, transition from humans to canines is getting used with like the, the, the dog handling, dog behavior. Uh, so that way, of course, you know, you're, you, you, you need to engage the patients, the dogs, so they can do the things that you want to do. You can't just force them to doing the treatments, the exercises, the manual therapy or whatever it is. So there's a little bit of a learning curve within that component as well. But, but it's, it's, it's really cool once you're able to put things together and you start seeing uh, uh, animals. You start, in my case, dogs. I only treat dogs. You start seeing that the same concepts, the same things that got your human patients better, it's getting our dog patients better too. And it's really fascinating to see how, how it all works. That is so amazing. And I'm just blown away because I know in PT schools, very few PT schools will even talk about this. And I know for mine, we aren't exposed to it at all. So I think it's really cool. And I'm imagining for your like uh, certification part of your time where you're in lab, quote unquote, with the dogs, I'm just imagining this room full of vets and PTs and dogs at like each of the mat tables. Is that kind of how it's set up? And are you paired with a vet? Is that how it works? And then it's like a vet and a PT per dog? Uh, that's kind of basically what it is. Now, it's mostly like in groups of like five people or so per group and they try to pair it up so you have a nice mix of vets and pts work together within the same group um but yeah usually uh you know the way the canine rehab institute works is it's they, they cap their classroom size at about 30 students so you have about you know six groups or so of like five students and and that way when you you you, you break into the lab components um at each group of of, of uh, uh, students has like usually two dogs with them. So that way pretty much it's like one dog or like two to three students. So everyone gets the chance to do a lot of the, the hands-on practice. Okay, one more question. I know Gabby, you're eager to say something. <laughs> one more question. Um, <laughs> are these therapy dogs and do they have to go through special training to do that? Are they injured? Like what's the, the variety of dogs you have? Yeah, no, they're actually not therapy dogs. Most often than not, it's their dogs that belong to some of the staff that work at the animal hospitals where the courses are held. So CRI contracts with two different animal hospitals, one in, in, in Colorado and one in, in Florida. So it's in the Coral Springs area and the Wheat Ridge area in Colorado. And um, so the classes are in, in inside the animal hospital, which is both of them are pretty big and have a big like classroom, uh, you know, conference room um, style place. So a lot of the, the, the dogs come from the partnership that they have with those places. So uh, since they're large hospitals, they have large staff and, and staff usually takes their dog to work and stuff. And then uh, some of them sometimes have some issues going on. Uh, some of them are just healthy. Sometimes uh, students can bring their own dogs too, as long as you know they would uh, uh, behave in a, in a situation like this, because of course it can be a little bit stressful for the dogs as well. So a lot of times, like some students will even bring their own dog, and 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 you know, and then they can use their own dogs, or other groups can use their dogs to to, to practice as well. That is so cool, and just being exposed to a variety of of um, dogs and breeds, especially like all different types of breeds. Um, and I, I can imagine that uh, like you would learn a lot and just being um, surrounded by, you know, not only PTs and vets, but all these different types of dogs and their owners. So that's really cool. But for a, a student who is thinking now, like, I know I want to do this. Would you recommend that after they graduate, you know, as a new grad that they get experience with working with um, like humans before they step into the canine, like go to um, like CRI or wherever, or would you recommend that they jump right into it if they know like, this is what I want to do? 
Yeah, so the first thing I recommend for PT students who are interested in this field is uh, I'll make the pitch to join the Animal Physical Therapy Special Interest Group. Uh, so it's part of the former orthopedic section, now the, the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy, I believe that's what's called, I always forget, but I think that's what's called. So it's one of the SIGs, and if you as a student, if you're an PTA member and you are a member of the, the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy, you can join any of their special interest group and no charge. So that's how you can join the Animal Physical Therapy SIG. And like I said, we always have, um, um, there's always a booth with CRI and, and the AOPT at CSM. And also um, there's always one lecture track on animal rehabilitation at CSM as well. So keep an eye out, keep an eye for those when you are at CSM because those, those are always a lot of fun. Um, but uh, to answer your question, I feel like some experience is always helpful. But like I said, that's a process. It's not like you. It's not like you're gonna graduate. Let's say it's not like you're gonna graduate from physical therapy school now in like May of 2020, and then you're gonna go through the coursework in the next two months and be treating animals by like August. It's, it, it takes just because of the way the to get certified it does take on average about like six to nine months or so for pts to go through it so you can start going through it while you are working and getting experience as a physical therapist and um, the canine rehab institutes used to only allow uh, uh, physical therapists to register for their courses after they have had one year of experience but actually uh, they have changed that policy since then and they changed that this year in January of this year where now even as a physical therapy student when you're about to get done with physical therapy school you can already register to start taking the first course with them the first module because the courses do tend to sell out usually about like six to eight months in advance so that way let's say if you know you're going to be graduating in May and, and it's February and you, 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 you go to CSM and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing, I wanna do this. You can already go ahead and register for a course that let's say it's being offered in November, right? So that way you guarantee your seat for that course. And then as long as by the time that course comes along, you're already a licensed PT, you have passed your board exam, you'd be able to go ahead and already start your, 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 your coursework or already start your certification. And then the experience is just gonna come hand to hand. Even the experience that you guys get, you know, in affiliations. And then of course, once you're out there as a clinician, you're just gonna, you can kind of like get that same experience while you're already uh, uh, going through the training and going through the learning of being a canine rehab therapist. That was a good question, Gabby. And I have another question that you may not know the answer to, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, and because I was thinking about this, because a lot of people right now can't go on clinical rotations due to we're in COVID-19 pandemic. For those of you listening in the future, it is June of 2020, as I said earlier. So can people have a clinical in canine rehab? So that's where it gets a little tricky because... Um, Animal physical therapy, uh, you know, is recognized by the APTA. The APTA supports animal physical therapy, has the SIG, that has been around for 22, 23 years now. Um, but it is still not a part of the, the curriculum in physical therapy schools that is defined by uh, what's called CAPT. Right. So um, so because of that, that's why some schools are starting to introduce animal rehab more sometimes as a as a clinical rounds or something like that, where, you know, a guest speaker comes and speaks for a couple hours or something like that. But that's why it's not part of the curriculum yet, because it's not, you know, related uh, with, you know, with the requirements that. PT schools need to have within their curriculum, which is already pretty tight for them to fit everything that they need to fit in. Um, so, so that's one challenge. The other challenge with doing a clinical rotation uh, in animal rehab is the fact that the legislation uh, regarding physical therapists working with animals can vary a lot from state to state. So that makes, uh, that makes it challenging even for physical therapists sometimes to, to get into that field. And, and it makes it even more challenging then for students to go out of state or something like that to, to do the affiliation. So not saying that it cannot be done, but um, it probably, it would need to be something that uh, 
that the clinical director, the clinical coordinator within your specific school would have to look into it, see if the school is okay with a student doing an affiliation with animal rehab and making sure, of course, that they are able then to find the physical therapist who be able to take that student for that, you know, given time frame of eight weeks, 12 weeks, however long that uh, rotation would be. Because you still get the practice knowledge and the thought process of thinking as a PT, but you're not getting the hands-on experience that you would in, in, in a human setting. So you do have to take that into account. That's actually a really good question because I know a lot of students are probably like, you know, my program should offer this. And now it's being, I, I feel like it's being brought up more and people are recognizing that animal rehab, you know, you can, you can do it. And when you started your business, um, do you want to talk about like how, how you started and were you traveling to um, like dog owner, I, were you traveling to houses or what, what was that um, beginning like? Yeah. Um, well, so I should start by saying that being a business owner was never my intention. The reason why I got into physical therapy school was because I wanted the security that the field, you know, brings, the healthcare field brings to us as well. That was something that, that, that I wanted it to, um, never wanted to be a business owner. But one of the biggest challenges that physical therapists have when making that transition from canines is one, it's finding a job uh, because there's not, you know, as many clinics that provide animal rehabilitation out there. Um, and the second one is if they were to find a job is to actually get paid at a rate that is equivalent to working as a human physical therapist, because unfortunately, um, the field of animal rehabilitation tends to be very undervalued. And, uh, and a lot of times these clinics tend to rather hire a technician and, and, you know, there is training to be a, a rehab certified veterinary technician, but they, they prefer sometimes to hire those vet techs to run the treatment because they're paid significantly less than, than physical therapists where a, a vet tech in the United States, depending on geographical location, will make anywhere between like 12 to like 15 dollar or something like that uh, so that's that's a big challenge so when I made that transition when I made that jump from humans to canines and um, and my wife and I moved from Pittsburgh to Chicago we moved to Chicago for an array of reasons but one of the reasons was because I did get a position working at a veterinary clinic that, that did rehabilitation but the trade-off that came with it was the fact that I was only able to negotiate for me to get paid $19 an hour so I was a physical therapist a doctor of physical therapy getting $19 an hour which at the beginning, it wasn't, it wasn't that big of an issue. I was loving what I was doing. I was getting to know work with dogs and everything. And I was doing some PRN work, doing human home health on the side, which we know it can pay pretty well. But like I was, I was like overworking like 60 hours a week between both jobs. Just because human health, uh, home health does pay quite well. But at the same time, um, we know, well, you guys know it, but there's a lot of paperwork, a lot of stuff involved. So I was working like seven days a week, seven, 60, 70 hours, and then not, not even bringing the equivalent of what I would bring as a full-time physical therapist. So that started playing a whole lot of issues with me, a whole lot of issues in my personal life, in my health, in my relationships, that um, I, was, I was getting to a very, very dangerous downward spiral. And, and it was leading me to, to, to have a, a whole lot of like mental health issues too. Um, and and, and the, the, the turning point, the pivoting point was actually in the spring of 2017 when I asked the office manager at the clinic if she saw any difference between me as a certified physical therapist, certified in animal rehab, and a vet tech who is certified in canine rehab, and she told me point blank that she didn't. And, and for me, that was like super hard, and, but that was that was the pivotal point of me realizing, you know what, this is not gonna work. Yes, I do wanna work with animals, but this is not gonna be, um, this is not gonna be good for my life. This is not gonna be good for my 
personal life, relationships, everything. So that was when then in the summer of 2017, I came across uh, Greg Todd, who that's how, you know, how we're connected, how we know each other, and took his course, SSHC, to start learning about uh, uh, opening my own business. And then that's when in September 2017, I left that clinic and I started the business. And since I had some experience uh, doing home health for about three years at that point, uh, it was an easy transition for me to just do home health for dogs. It was, it was uh, a very cool concept because a lot of people I knew needed it. There was no one in the city of Chicago even doing house calls for animal rehab. So that was something that was a differential for me. And as I was opening the business, it was a great way to keep the overhead super low because I was able to open a business with pretty much spending just about like $2,000 total between fees to open my business and getting a couple pieces of equipment and that kind of stuff. So it was a very easy way to open my own business and just get it going off the ground. And then we continue to grow, continue to grow where now we have a staff, now we have a, a clinic location in addition to doing house calls. Uh, but yes, that's it started with being just a, a mobile home health style business for canines. That is so innovative and really quite fascinating because I would have never thought of that. And I think it's so awesome that you did. And here you are today. Um, and what does a session look like for you? Like, how do you go through an eval? Obviously, there's, well, I guess not obviously. Is there a script? Uh, and how do you kind of go about a session with a, a canine? Yeah, so once again, the, um, the structure of what we do doesn't really change. It just changes the population. So a regular session, it's usually about like 45 minutes. Uh, it's very hard to do like a session for too long with dogs because they just tend to have a short attention span. They get tired, they get bored, and they're kind of like done. So 45 minutes I have found over time to be about the sweet spot. But usually it starts with, with the subjective, me talking to, to the client, the pet owner, about how things are going, how it's been going on. And then we do a, a mini assessment usually. There's a few different movements, um, few different exercises that we do to see how the dog gets around, how they're doing compared to the previous session. And then at that point, we decide where the session is gonna go. If we're gonna start with a little bit more manual therapy, hands-on things first, and then go to exercise, or if you're gonna do exercise on things afterwards, it just varies a lot from, from the patient and what the ultimate goal kinda is. And, um, but, but it's not very different. And I was trained as a physical therapist through the University of Pittsburgh and through my clinical affiliations and my experience to be a very hands-on therapist. So my, 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 uh, the way I treated patients was just always very hands-on, very uh, uh, reliant a lot on manual therapy and uh, strengthening, progressive strengthening exercises. And, and it's pretty much carrying over the same concept to canines as well. So we barely use any modalities of treatment whatsoever. Uh, we do not have an underwater treadmill, which that's you know what a lot of people sometimes think of canine rehabilitation, of being underwater treadmill. But to be quite honest, that's one of my... Uh, uh, biggest pet peeves in the field of animal rehab is how over-relying a lot of clinics are in, in using underwater treadmill. And it's one of my goals too, to show how you can have a, a, a very successful clinic in animal rehabilitation. You can get results that you can get for your patients, for your pets, without having an underwater treadmill that's gonna break the bank and it's gonna be a nightmare in terms of maintenance and everything. Um, so that's how we, we kind of like structure each session. That is so cool. And I'm imagining you like, <laughs> I don't know if people listening are like, wait, how do you do range of motion? Like I get it. The subjective is from the, the dog owner. Um, and how do you kind of document like an MMT <laughs> and that kind of stuff is the documentation. Like, how are you documenting, um, how are you documenting this yeah. question? So, yeah, no, that's a great question because a lot of PTs, you know, are like, oh my God, I want to, I don't have to document anymore. And I'm like, uh, no, you probably should. I mean, you're not required to document per se, but I mean, one thing that I've learned in PT school, I remember 
if you didn't document, then it didn't happen, you know, and we live in such a litigious society nowadays that I feel it's very important to document things that happened during the session, what was the recommendation for a home exercise program, and then in the next session, how did they do the exercise program and everything, because you, you, you need to cover your bases. And then especially now too, that it's not just me, I have another physical therapist working with me too, that uh, if I am to go and see one of her patients because she called in sick or something like that, I need to be able to look at the notes and see what's been going on, right? So it's still very important to document. With that being said, it is a much easier documentation because you're not having to justify things for insurance purposes. You're not filling out Medicare paperwork or anything like that. So it's a much more standard soap notes that it, it takes a much shorter amount of time to get it done. That's so cool. And just being, like you said, still able to document, but you don't have to go through the hoops that a lot of insurance companies want you to do and the, the whole process of it. And for, um, you said earlier, like for those who want to get involved, um, you know, through CSM and the SIG, but where do you see this going in, re in regards to like CAPTI and really having hopefully more at least electives or even a class being taught about animal rehab and um, having students like go to clinicals? Where do you see that going in PT education? Um, that's a great question. And I should start by saying that I am current the president of the Animal Physical Therapy Special Interest Group. So my answer here, it's my personal opinion and not a reflection of, you know, what, what the SIG thinks or anything like that. Um, I think in the future, there is going to be like a, like a coursework in, in animal reading some physical therapy schools probably going to start small and go from there but just like for example you have a semester in pediatric or something like that you might have a, it might be a shorter you know one credit unit you know for per semester or something like that but something that maybe schools can take as elective even like i know which school is different remember in my physical therapy program on our um, what was it? Was the spring semester of our second year? Um, we could choose an elective course, and they had about like five, six different options that we could choose from. And that's where I see kind of like uh, 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 future animal physical therapy getting into school curriculums. It would be more like that, more like an elective that then maybe some students can take it. Um, the challenge. You know, because I thought about this in the past, the challenge, of course, would be to have faculty on this schools that can, can teach this because, um, you know, it's a fast growing field, but there's not, it's not like there is like BTs, you know, all over doing animal rehabilitation. Um, so that was something that I used to think would be a challenge, but now that schools are getting used to this whole virtual learning, there's no reason why this couldn't be taught virtually um, to, to, you know, as an elective course to, to, to a class. The major challenge at first is that it's not something that is required, um, you know, for you guys to, to, for the schools to get accredited and for you, for you guys, you know, diploma to kind of like count and you be able to sit for your license exam and that kind of stuff. And that's going to be for the longest time is going to be the challenge because schools have already such a, a, a large number of things that they have to make sure it's included in their curriculum that it makes it very challenging for them to add more stuff to it. So do I see that happening in the future? I do, but I don't think it's going to be happening in the near future. I think we're talking about something like decades from now or so. That was a really good question. I was thinking something similar because I, we know a lot of students who would love to have this as an elective. Same with something like hypotherapy or something like that. So I think it's really cool that it is a potential, even if it's not in the you know near future. But in the future, uh, that is possible. But I would love to hear like what are some of your favorites? I guess canine patient population is are there different populations and you know what do you love to do now with canine therapy um yeah i mean there's definitely different populations too and that's the cool thing about it is because within the same week the same day 
you can see an array of patients. You can see an orthopedic patient. You can see a geriatric patient. You can see a post-op knee patient. You can see a narrow patient that had a surgery for a herniated disc, uh, or they have some sort of neurological condition. So you, you, you're seeing a little bit of everything. Um, now, personally, you know, if, if, if you guys, if you, the listeners were to go and start like following us on social media, you will see that a lot of our uh, outreach, a lot of our message is targeted towards the geriatric population, it's targeted towards senior dogs. So that's the population that we do tend to see quite a bit. Um, um, that in orthopedic cases more than anything. Um, but uh, the reason why, you know, that's where we tend to focus our outreach and our educational marketing is because I've noticed uh, uh, over the first few years of me working in this field that there was such a gap of uh, people knowing that there was more out there to help their senior dogs. And, and in general, the field of animal rehab is still very um, underserved, I wanna say. Um, it's been growing a lot over the last five years and more and more veterinary surgeons are now starting to recommend rehab after a surgery. But uh, even that, there's still big room for improvement in terms of referral uh, post-op operative for rehab but the one population i've noticed that was getting very close to like no referrals for physical therapy at all was the senior dogs and and me being a very uh hands-on therapist manual therapy exercise based therapist I, i've realized that those are the patients that i could see uh, uh an immediate effect almost on on how well they were doing within just like one or two sessions sometimes even after one session people already tell me how much better their their, their senior dog are doing afterwards so that that's why we have chosen to really have our educational marketing target towards senior dogs is to just help educate the population that there's more out there they can do for their aging pets besides just taking slow and 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 accepting that it's just part of the aging process i love that so much and as a senior dog owner i i really love that you're able to do that and just like not let them just not do anything and that's really great that you found a gap and you are capitalizing on that now. Um, and that's, that's just so cool. But you talked earlier about um, now having a physical location. So with COVID right now, how have you, how have you transitioned? Are you doing um, still doing like home health calls and then having uh, you know, the owners and the dogs coming to the clinic or how has that been? Yeah. So of course, you know that has affected every every business out there and uh, luckily the way that the stay home orders worked in the state of illinois uh caring for your pet was deemed an essential service so as an animal hospital we were able to stay open but of course we changed a lot of the and procedures that we had in place and of course especially for the first few weeks the first month or so when when that all started it um our case load went significantly down because not only a lot of our current uh clients current patients were uh not coming but then also we were getting no new patients too um, but we were able to adapt uh the way the clinic is set up it actually worked very well uh, for us because we are such a small business it's you know me our other therapist and our office manager so we were able to have the office manager work from home during this whole time and then just me and the other therapist be here at the clinic so basically just a staff of two people here at the clinic and we were able uh, because our sessions are so one-on-one -on -one anyway it's not like we're seeing multiple focus at once um, we were able to just keep it as one client inside the building at all times. So we were able to put a cushion in between appointments. So we had time to clean and disinfect everything in between patients. And, and even though we have uh, two exam rooms here in the clinic, um, we haven't been using them because once again, just one client here at a time, even if both me and, and Kristen are here, uh, it's just one of us seeing the patient. 
and and we're and what we have chose to do is just of course use our gym which is a much bigger area of about uh, 250 300 square feet so that way we're able to see the dogs and the clients can still come in and stay by the front area that it's open to the gym keeping their distance wearing everyone wearing their masks and everything and that has worked very very well to us um you know, especially, like I said, because we're small, we're a small staff. Now, if we were a large clinic and we had like a staff of like 10, 12 people, then that, that would have become much more complicated because then you, you have to consider the exposure that you're getting to, you know, your, 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 your team members. So that's why uh, a lot of canine rehab clinics, they were able to stay open um, during COVID, but they have implemented a drop-off only policy. So clients are not allowed into their building. Uh, they, they, you know, they just call the clinic once they're parked outside and then someone from the clinic goes and pick up their dog and brings them in and do the treatment and then takes their dog back to them after the session. And, and like, at least for, you know, I'm very glad that we didn't have to resort to that. We were able to change the policies and procedures here and still stay very safe seeing our patients with our clients present because that is a big part of like how we do our sessions where we get the, the, the pet owners very involved into the program. We're always teaching them things to do at home we always want to make sure that they understand what's been going on and it would be very hard to do so without having them coming into the building and just doing that over uh, a phone call or something like that i love that you brought up you know kind of the the dog's owner's education i want to say patient education but obviously you're not educating the dog but the the owner education is so important in this and you give them kind of like a, a home exercise program and how do you kind of go about that uh educating the owner on what to do with their dog like what would be an example of an atp yeah, I mean, so it's huge. I mean, like I said, it's the client education. So I call client the pet owner and patient is the dog. So it's for, for that way we do things, client education, it's, it's huge because what the way that we explain to them from the get-go, even when they first get, you know, on the phone call with our office manager, is for them to understand that, that they come in and seeing us week or every other week, it's not going to be it's 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 not going to be enough. You're going to need to be doing at home, and that's what we try to teach them. But it's like, look, it doesn't mean that you have to work out with your dog for one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening. But we're going to teach you how to do five, ten minutes of different things in the morning, five, ten minutes for you to do in the evening, and the compounding effect that that's going to have it. It's what's going to make a difference, especially when we're talking about our senior dogs, because that's something that it's, it's, it's going to be like a lifelong thing that they're going to have to maintain and keep up with the home. And if they're just expecting to come and getting done and that's it and not do anything, it's not going to make a difference. It's, it's, it will be no different than us going to the gym for a half hour once a week and expecting results from it right? It's just not going to happen. And once we explain to people that way, then, then the people who understand it and the people, the pet parents who, who want that, you know, they really connect with us because that's, you know, one of the big differentials that I feel like that, that, that we bring into them is the fact that we're trying to empower them each session with the things that they can be doing on their own. And are there actually physical activity recommendations for dogs or does it depend on the breed? Like, you know, humans, 150 minutes of aerobic activity per week or whatever. <laughs> like, is there something like that for dogs? No, there's no specific guidelines for dogs. There's very little research. That's one of the things that needs to get better, you know. Um, but, you know, it, it, it goes back to what we're talking about, too, as far as uh, the senior dogs, right, where I've noticed that, that, that gap of, like, them being underserved. And I, in the human side of things, we know that research does show that the less active we are as we age, the higher the mortality rates is. So for me, it was kind of like, okay, why are we doing that with our dogs? Why with our dogs as they age, we just let them do less and less, 
right? So, so that's kind of like that, that it, it all started. So you ended up with experience, you know, learning the exercise dosage and, you know, each patient, of course, is different. Um, and you have to work around sometimes the schedule for the client and that kind of stuff. Uh, but there are no, you know, real specific guidelines. But we're always trying to educate them that, that you know, a combination of walks, daily walks, plus uh, uh, some strengthening-based exercises is what's going to make the difference as well. Because walking is great. Always encourage people to keep walking their dogs. But at the same time, it's just walking by itself sometimes is not enough either. And what would be some examples of strengthening exercises for their dogs like to do at home? Oh, I mean, there's quite a few different ones. And that's the fun thing that you just have to get creative. So here, you know, over, you know, my years of experience, we've developed um, like a certain protocol that we tend to, to, to follow with exercise progressions where we have uh uh, like seven different exercises that are of foundational exercises, foundational movements that we get patients to start doing. And then we have different progressions for each one of those movements that makes things more, more challenging. Um, but it's, 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 it's the same thing that we're trying to humans where you're trying to overload, overload the joint. You try to overload the muscle. So you're doing the same thing with dogs, but the difference is that you, you have to do that in, in a more functional kind of way. And you just have to get creative uh, uh, with it as well, which it, it makes it very fun. So there, yeah, it's kind of hard to, to explain in an, an audio podcast, um, how those exercises would look like. So if, if you know, if you guys are curious about it, if you're listening to this and you're really trying to wrap around your head around how that would look like, um, I would encourage you to just yeah go follow us on Instagram or Facebook because we're always posting videos over there, and you're gonna have a better idea of like how it looks like. And then once you see it, you're gonna be like, oh, that makes sense. That light bulb's gonna go off, and you're like, okay, getting the the visual. Um, visual learning, but that is so, so cool. And I know we are just so interested and all of our listeners are probably thinking the same. Um, and for a student, so a current PT student, I know we talked about a lot today. What is one piece of advice you would give to a current student right now? Anything? Oh, that's a great question. So any, any student, not, not related to animal rehab? Correct. So, so the, the advice that I'll give students, because it's something that uh, I wish someone had told me uh, early on in my career or, um, you know, while I'm still in PT school, is to focus your time on learning the non-traditional skills of being a physical therapist. Because physical therapy school is going to teach you be a physical therapist. It's gonna teach you how to treat patients, how to do evaluation, how to do this exercise, this modality of treatment, this, this, and that, the overall thought process. And that's the traditional skill. But you you can have all the letters behind your name and be the best, um, most well-known clinician. But if you don't have non-traditional skills, you're, you're, you're gonna hit a cap. You're going to hit a cap in your life, in your career, that um, you're not going to then enjoy the life of a physical therapist. So those non-traditional skills includes things like uh, communication. That's probably one of the biggest ones that um, I had to work a lot on, on just being a better communicator, uh, especially with, with, with clients so they can understand better what is it that I'm, that I'm proposing to them, that that I'm, that I'm getting them to do and everything. So being a communicator, being a better leader, um, you know, you need to, you need to be a leader. So you need to, to have a personality uh, that people are going to want to work with you, right? Like once again, you, you, you can have all the letters behind your name, but if people don't want to go see you because like you're not a leader and your personality thinks, 
then like you're, you're, you're going to struggle being a physical therapist because people are not going to complete their plan of cares. They're just going to come see you for once or twice and they're going to be done with it. So, so being a better leader and being a better communicator, you would be the main things that, that I would recommend for you guys to keep, you know, start working towards it and, and being a better leader. It's, it's, it's about being a better person. So then, you know, you're probably asking yourselves like, okay, how can I be a better leader? So it's just developing yourself. So that's, you know, that's when I'll recommend just really diving deep into personal development. There's a lot of different personal development stuff out there. Um, I was never someone that got into personal development until like three years ago. And to be quite honest, it has been life changing to really dive deep into it and, and just learn all different aspects that leads me to being a better, being a better person and being a better leader. That was great advice because a lot of students, the hard thing is they get so focused on the moment and they're like, oh my God, this is it, exam next week and the practical the week after and da, 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 da. And then they forget like who they are and the other parts of like what makes somebody a great PT and it's not the academic side. So I appreciate that advice for sure. And for people who want to reach out and connect with you, where's the best place? Yeah, so probably social media. So like I said, we're the, the, the business name is the K-N-I-T, uh, T-H-E, K-A number nine, P and T is physical therapist. Uh, so you, you're going to be able to find that across uh, uh, Instagram and Facebook if you search for that. Um, if you are a physical therapy student or even maybe a new grad PT or someone listening to the podcast and you are uh, interested in finding out more about making the transition from humans to canines, I have a Facebook group that I've created uh, probably about like two years ago or so that, that it just made it easier because I was getting so many inquiries, so many emails, so many messages of PTs, PT students being interested on it. That it was just easier to put everyone together into a group. So that would probably be the, the, the best thing would be to join that group. And if you go to uh, www.k9physicaltherapist and k9 spelled out, k9, k9 physicaltherapist.com, it's going to redirect you to the Facebook group. Or you can go on the search function of Facebook for k9 physical therapist, and it should pop up in there too. Awesome. And we thank you so much for coming on today, Fran. This information, I mean, so many people are like, I want more. And we just appreciate everything that uh, you told us. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Looking for a gift for a friend, classmate, professor, co-host of a podcast, or really anyone? Physio Memes got your back with apparel, drinkware, and home decor. And if you go to physiomemes.com, you can get a 20% off coupon with the code gratitude, spelled G-R-A-D-I-T-U-D-E-2020. And don't forget to check out his social media for a good study break laugh. As always, make life humorous. Thanks for listening to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our Instagram and Facebook page linked in the description.